Okay, if you would take your Bible and turn to the book of Jude. Jude, and I'm going to begin tonight at verse 12, I'm going to read down through verse 19. Let me back up to verse 8, and then get context. Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for have gone the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward, perished in the gainsaying of Kor. These are spots in your feasts of charity. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame. Wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints, to execute judgment upon all, and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. But, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you there should be mockers in the last time, who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. So tonight, again... The title of the message is, Hung Up on Themselves. Hung Up on Themselves. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your precious word. Thank you for the instruction that it gives us, encouragement that we receive from it, and the warnings that it gives us as well of the dangers and pitfalls that many fall into. And I pray that you give us understanding in thy truth tonight and give us wisdom and grace and help us just to be faithful, to hold fast, to contend for the faith until the Lord comes for us. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we've been going through this book of Jude, of course, uh, we talked about the common salvation. It's a faith once delivered in the saints. The, the uh, uh, <clears throat> way of salvation has not changed. Church methodology has not changed since the... Uh, since Jesus began the first church, uh, <clears throat> the, the person of Christ has not changed. God hasn't changed. And there is there's one faith which was delivered unto the saints, which we are to keep and we are to contend for and struggle in defense of. Knowing and being warned that there are those who creeping in that would pervert or endeavor to change the message of the gospel. And, you know, this, this has been, uh, is very prevalent in our world today. The apostasy is upon us. And apostasy is simply a willful departure from the truth. That's what it is. It's a willful departure from the truth. From the truth. And, of course, Jude describes these in very vivid details for us and gives us some illustrations. Tonight I want to look at uh, some more description of these. The description, I have the description of the hirelings. First of all, uh, they're described as spots in your feast of charity. The word spot is interesting. It refers to like a rock in the sea, a ledge or reef that's under the surface. Now, what's so dangerous about that? It's very dangerous to shipping. Very dangerous. And that's the idea. 
it, so it refers to a rock or a ledge, and it is, it's tropically speaking of men who by their conduct damage others, make wreck of others. You know, it's equivalent to hidden rocks. You know, that, that the, the sea may look fine, but there's this rock hidden underneath, and if a ship hits that, it'll, it'll break it apart. So like the uh, Titanic, you know, hit, hit the uh, massive iceberg, and the, everything looked fine on the surface. It was what's underneath. And, and the Bible here describes them as these spots. They wreak damage. Uh... Of others, he he, just, he says they feast with you, you know. And of course, he he says these these men are crept in; they're in unawares. And he says they feast with you. That meant they they entertain sumptuously, lavishly. They revel together, feeding themselves without fear, boldly, uh, uh, you know, with arrogance. There's a in Ezekiel chapter thirty-four. Ezekiel talks about uh, the shepherds. Excuse me, Ezekiel 34 and verses 1 through 6, the faithless, faithless shepherds, where he says, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God unto the shepherds, Woe be to the shepherds of Israel that, that do feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? Ye eat the fat, ye clothe ye with wool, ye kill them that are fed, but ye feed not the flock. The diseased have you not strengthened, neither have you healed that which was sick, neither have you bound up that which was broken, neither have you bought, brought again that which was driven away, neither have you sought that which was lost. But with force and with cruelty have you ruled them. And they were scattered because there is no shepherd, and became meat to all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and upon every high hill, yea, my flock was scattered upon all the face of the earth, and none did search or seek after them. Now, an example of this would be with uh, Hophni and Phinehas, Eli's sons. You know, they, you know when, when people brought an offerings to the temple, they bring an animal sacrifice, there were certain portions of that animal that were to be given to the priests for their meat. But there were other portions that were to be offered in sacrifice. But Hophni and Phinehas would take by force the things they wanted that were supposed to be offered to God. So they were cruel. They were serving themselves. You know, as we read this morning, you know, uh, one of the things that the Lord said to Eli, you've made yourselves fat with the offerings of the Lord, your sons. So they were, they were, they were ruling the people with force and cruelty, and because of that, people didn't want to come to the tabernacle. They didn't want to bring their offerings. They knew what that was happening was not right. But they were powerless to do anything about it. And of course, the other thing he says, they laid with the women that stayed at the temple. So they fed themselves. They were more interested in themselves than they were doing the work of the Lord. Jesus talked about this in John chapter 10 in his message on the Good Shepherd. In John chapter 10, and verses 12 and 13, he says, But he that is an hireling, and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth, because he is an hireling, and careth not for sheep. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. And so... You know, you know, these, he says, they feast with you, they revel themselves, they feed themselves without fear, but they don't feed the flock. You know, one of the things a pastor is supposed to do is feed the flock of God. Feed the flock of God so that they're not carried around with every wind of doctrine and slight of men with cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to see. You know, there are men out there that, are, that want to deceive you, want you to follow them. And many do because they don't have shepherds that teach them or feed them the word of God. They're more interested in feeding themselves, taking care of themselves. He calls them empty clouds. You know, they have an appearance of rain. You know, you ever 
you ever have a time of a dry spell and you're hoping it's going to rain and there's a nice cloud comes over and you're thinking, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe it's going to rain. And it just passes right on through and you get nothing. It's disappointing. It's disappointing. Empty clouds. In other words, they have an appearance of ministry, of righteousness, and yet they're empty. They preach a Jesus, a Jesus without repentance, without lordship. In fact, that's what he says in verse 4. They deny the only Lord God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so it's a different Jesus. And, 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 and so, you know, uh, it's a Jesus without repentance, without lordship. You know, one, one, well, it was Jack Howes that said, you know, the, the purpose is you get them saved and teach them how to get others saved. That's all there is to life. That's as if all there was to life. Uh, wait a minute. What does the Great Commission actually say? In Matthew 28, I don't know what his Bible says, but mine says, we're to teach them to observe all things. That's discipleship. That's not just teaching somebody how to win somebody to the Lord, and his method of winning somebody to the Lord was salesmanship. You know, what what Paul taught the churches, given to us by inspiration, was he didn't really teach them, he didn't give them a soul-winning clinic. You know, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians is not a soul-winning clinic. But I'll tell you what it is, it's how to live godly and glorify God. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. What, you know, he tells in verse 18, you're flee fornication. Flee fornication. Verse 19, what? Know ye not your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you which you have of God and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit which are God's. And, and proceeding in this chapter, he talks about some of the things that they, they, they uh, participated and practiced before they got saved. But he said, now are you... Now are you washed, now are you justified, now are you sanctified by the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God, and, and you're to put away these things. See, flee fornication, it matters how you live to God. It matters. Because it affects your fellowship with God. That's what's at stake. Second Peter 2.19, you know, Peter talks a lot about this apostasy also, and he says, While they promised them liberty, they themselves are servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome the same as he brought into bondage. Uh, in verse 17, he says, These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the midst of darkness is reserved forever. Empty clouds. Now, he also describes them as twice dead. Now, how do you get something that's twice dead? You know, <clears throat> so if you get scared half to death twice, you're dead. Yeah, yeah. But twice dead, he describes them as twice dead, plucked up by the roots. It speaks of, of seeds which, while being resolved into their elements in the ground, seem to perish by rotting. So instead of that seed dying, and bringing forth fruit, as a seed is supposed to, it goes in the ground, it dies, it rots. It rots. Now it's been planted. It's been planted. And I believe the point is here that these people, or these men, these teachers, have had access to the truth. They've heard the truth. They've had it planted in their ears and in their minds. It's been planted there. But like a seed that's put in the ground and rots, that's what it does in their wicked hearts. Matthew 15, 12 through 14, it says, Then came his disciples and said to him, Knowest thou not the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. So they're twice dead. But again, it tells us they had, they had access to the truth. 
They are also unpredictable or erratic, ungovernable. Notice verse 13. Raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame. Wandering stars, to whom reserve the blackness of darkness forever. Now the word raging means they're noisy, they're bold, they're wild, they're unreasonable. Fierce, untamed, foaming out means to cast out of his foam. Uh, it, it, it means to, uh, you know, unblush, they, they unblushingly exhibit in word and deed their base and abandoned spirit. <clears throat> you know, when we were in Maine, we had a missionary come through, and he was originally from Maine. And he joined up with the prison ministry. And uh, he's getting ready to leave. And he said, uh, you want to hear some southern preaching? And I said, sure. I was always li- interested in, in listening to preaching, you know. So he gave me this tape, and I can't even remember who it was. doesn't really matter. <clears throat> but this guy got the yelling and screaming so bad that you couldn't understand even what he was saying. You know, I was at a preacher's fellowship in Virginia, and it happened there. And I thought to myself, what's the sense? What help is there in that for anybody listening? It's like they're out of control. You know, I don't find in the Bible anywhere where any of the New Testament preachers lost control of themselves. I mean, Jesus had straightforward, direct, plain, sensible messages he preached. Peter, you know, you read Acts chapter 2 and his message of the day of Pentecost, it was very clear and sensible. Straightforward. You know, some people think that they are more spiritual because they're more noisy. Or the more commanding. They're raging. Uh, He calls them wandering stars. Now the word wandering, uh, wandering star refers to not planets, but uh, described in the Theros Greek lexicon as the, the motion of which is scarcely noticed by commonality but far more probably comets, which Jude regards as stars which have left their course prescribed for them by God and wander about at will. They wander about at will. Again, these are unpredictable. In other words, they've left the direction or the path set by God. Their buzzword is change. You know, we had a president whose buzzwords were hope and change, hope and change. Well, there wasn't any hope. There was a lot of change, but there wasn't any hope. Kind of reminds me, you know, of the the, uh, Athenians who spent their time coming up with some new thing. Second Timothy... uh, <clears throat> three, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, t- Paul describes these as writing to young Timothy and in the, in the, in describing the last times in, in verse 1. This know also the last days, perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, there's your raging, Fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, denying the power thereof from such to turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses, lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So there's, there's constant change. You know, coming up with some new thing. You know, we are to always be learning. 
But we are to be increasing in our knowledge of an unchanging God. God doesn't change. God's methods do not change. God's person doesn't change. His way of salvation does not change. But these come up with new things constantly. Somebody said, quote, if it's, if it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. In fact, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 1.9, The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be. And that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. You know, some people think that Jehovah's Witness doctrine is new. Study church history and you'll find out it's not new. It goes back to the first and second century. It's called Arianism. A denial of the deity of Jesus Christ. There's really nothing new under the sun. But some think there is. You know, I mentioned last week Jack Howes. And sorry to mention him again, but he's such a good illustration of these things. Jack Howes wrote a book in 1962. It's titled, Let's Build an Evangelistic Church, unquote. In 1992, he wrote another titled, The Church, unquote, in which he said, the evangelistic church is not in the Bible. So he wrote a book titled, Let's Build an Evangelistic Church, and he tells the people how to build this evangelistic church, reaching people with the gospel and all this. And so 30 years later, he wrote another book saying, and he says in that book, the evangelistic church is not in the Bible. Now, which is true? Well, you know, a lot of it is semantics and... And I think for the purpose of promoting his philosophy, which was flawed. And he, in this book called The Church, wrote in 1992, he talks about it in, in uh, I'm not sure what chapter this is, but I didn't write down the chapter here. But anyway, the purpose, he, the, the chapter title is The Purpose of, the, of Going to Church. He says, number one, the church was not started to be a place of worship. Yeah, that ought to raise your eyebrows. Secondly, church, Jesus did not start the church as a place of evangelism. The evangelistic church is not in the Bible. The soul-winning church is. Now, I want to ask you, is there a difference? You know what he's promoting here? His method of soul-winning. That's what he's promoting. Now, I'm not against people getting saved at church, nor am I against an occasional evangelistic sermon. But that is not the main purpose of the church. And then he goes on and, 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 and says a lot of other things. And then he says this, quote, this is what really got my attention. An evangelistic church is where you invite sinners to come and the preacher tries to get them saved through his preaching. There's nothing wrong with that except people go unfit. There is a, a measure of truth in that. And then he says this, for 1900 years, the soul winning church was lost. In our generation, the soul-winning church has been rediscovered. The First Baptist Church of Hammond has had a big part in that. All across America, preachers are baptizing more converts than Spurgeon did. Now, I'm not nearly the preacher Spurgeon was, but First Baptist Church is a better church than Spurgeon had because we discovered the soul-winning church instead of the evangelistic church, unquote. Now, I don't know if I know of any higher arrogance than that. You know, the reason Spurgeon had so many people saved was because his people were out soul winning during the week and brought those people in Sunday morning and they listened to Charles Spurgeon give the gospel and he would deal with them on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday and question them concerning their salvation. And those people were genuinely converted. Masses of house converts are still lost. I know by experience. I pastored a church where the two former pastors were house graduates. And I don't know how many times I heard statements like, Oh, I know I'm saved, but I would never go back to church again. And they live like the devil. 
they have been made twofold more the child of hell than themselves, like Jesus described the Pharisees. So which is true? <clears throat> you know, Proverbs 24, 21 says this, My son, fear thou the Lord and the king, and meddle not with them that are given to change. You see, the problem with Jack Howes was the Bible method didn't get enough converts. So we got we got to change the gospel, the way we give the gospel, and make it marketable. So you drop repentance, and you drop the lordship of Christ, and so what you have is people making professions, and somewhere along the way, they make Jesus Lord of their life. Now, sometimes that does happen. But my question is, did they really get saved when they made the profession, or did they really get saved when they understand that Jesus was Lord? I believe they really got saved when they understood that Jesus is Lord. I'm one of those. You see, these are empire builders. They're not church builders. They're empire builders. And, 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 you know, this, this, you know, this, this uh, uh, wandering by, you know, they're leaving their God-given direction or path. You know, and again, illustrations of that are the angels kept not their first estate. They didn't keep their God-given role. Uh, the way of Cain, God forsook the, or Cain forsook the accepted way to approach God and enter into a relationship with God. And this is what's happening in, in many places. And, and Balaam, of course, left the purpose of a prophet. The purpose of the prophet was to say, Thus saith the Lord. We see, he was a prophet for hire. When you're a prophet for hire, you know what you say? You say what those who hired you want to hear. That's what you say. And we have a good example of that. 1 Kings chapter 22. 1 Kings chapter 22. <clears throat> First Kings 22, verse 2. It says, it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, who was a good king, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel, who was Ahab. king of Israel said unto his servants, Know ye that Ramoth Gilead is ours, and we be still, and take it not out of the hand of the king of Syria. And he said unto Jehoshaphat, Will thou go with me to battle, Ramoth Gilead? Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as thou art, my people as thy people, my horses as thy horses. And Jehoshaphat said unto the king of Israel, Inquire, I pray thee, at the word of the Lord today. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said unto them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I forbear? And they said, Go up, for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. And Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord besides, that we might inquire of him? And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man, Micaiah, the son of Imla, by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. For he doth not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. Why did he prophesy evil evil concerning him? Because he was evil. That's why, because he was evil. He was telling him the truth. But he didn't want to hear it. And the story goes on. So, But all these other prophets were prophets of hire. They told him what he wanted to hear. But it was a lie. You know, Korah left his role and sought the position given to another. It's a denial of God-given authority. And so, these are unpredictable, ungovernable. They have an attitude of superiority, verse 16. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts. Their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. Now, I skipped over a little bit of about Enoch, but we'll come back to that later or next week. But, but murmurers, the murmurers here is one who discontentedly complains and complains against God. In other words, not, and the word complainers, very similar, mean complaining of one's lot. In other words, one's place in life. See, Korah complained about his lot in life. He wasn't satisfied with his position. He had a position of prestige, but it wasn't good enough for him. He wanted what Moses had. Moses didn't choose it of himself. He was God-appointed. 
You see, they desire what is forbidden them. That's what it means, walking after their own lusts. You know, there are some things that, that are forbidden us. Fornication is forbidden us. We're not to walk after our own lusts. You see, the world wants to go after those things that are forbidden. And, and, the, and many people will, will think God's not fair because He won't allow me to have this. But they don't think about all the things that God has provided for them. You know, there was only one thing God wouldn't allow Adam and Eve to have in that garden. Only one. And what did Satan get Eve to focus on? The only one. Murmurs, complainers. See, they boast themselves above God. They're not satisfied with God. God's not fair. Life's not fair. You know, I used to tell my kids, welcome to the real world. Life isn't fair. Get over it. But you know what? It isn't God's fault that it's not fair. By sin, by man, sin entered the world and death by sin. The reason the world's not fair is because of man's sin. One day it is going to be fair. And that'll be when the Lord Jesus Christ rules and reigns. There will be equity then. There will be equality. They speak great swelling words. Bulging over, expressive of arrogance. Let me give just a good illustration of that. Great swelling words. Having men's persons and admiration. The word admiration means to pay regard or admire one's appearance. To be influenced by partiality. You know, the funny thing was, you know, I followed these two guys that were Howes Anderson graduates to church in Maine. But the funny thing was, even though they, 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 they disdained the church, they still, they still defended, many times they still defend this ungodly, wicked man because he had, he had a church of two, over 200 people at one time. I mean, one man told me why well, he said he, if there was somebody in Boston that needed picked up on a bus ride, he'd take a bus and go get them. And I said, you really believe that? You know, and people thought he was, you know, just next thing to slice bread. Men's person that ration. You know, many are caught up with size or supposed power and influence. You know, televangelists always look good. You know, they put on their makeup, have their hair styled. You know, like John Edwards, who ran for president, has the $500 haircuts. You know, if they have bald spots like I do in the back, they probably have some hair covered, you know, toupee and fill that in. They always look good. And they position the lights just right, you know, so they always look so good. And they're always positive. You know why? Because there are certain portions of the Bible they don't want to go to. Because it's not popular. And it doesn't, it isn't positive. It doesn't make you feel good. And they could talk about the thousands are the reaching. And after all, here we are, you know. It says because of advantage, you know, the men's persons admiration because of advantage, that means that they profit in a sense of booty or plunder, uh, something seized by violence. You know, they have a position of power and uh, to satisfy and profit themselves. And really, they're thieves. You know, uh, uh, 
in verse 4, he describes that certain men crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness, and denying the only Lord God and Lord Jesus Christ. So they're deceiving people with deception, and so they're like thieves plundering the church of God. You know, 2 Timothy 3, Paul, when he wrote to Timothy, he said this, For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women, or, or, or uh, you know, un- unknowing women, silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lusts. You know, one of the things I've noticed about Charismatics Ministries years ago was that it was always predominantly women. Because charismatics is a very emotional system of belief. And women were very prominent in those places. They're thieves. Many pair of church ministries have sucked the life out of local churches. You know, there's not pair of church ministries in the Bible, they're not there. Nowhere. You know, they take the best of our young. They take the wealth of our old. Parachurch mission agencies brag about how many people they're reaching many times with the false gospel. And look at all they're doing. Send your money to us. You know what God calls it? Plundering. Robbery. You know, the ministry, a biblical ministry, is not something to be sought for admiration or advantage. In fact, if you read the ministry of the disciples and of the Lord Jesus, there was nothing really there that, by worldly standards, you'd be admire or go after. In fact, Jesus said in Luke 6, 26, Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. False prophets. They belittle or mock New Testament churches. Notice verse 15 uh, and verse 18. It says, to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Now, Jesus said where two or three are gathered in the midst, there am I in the midst. And he, he said, he, he said I, that he is the head of, the Bible says that he is the head of the church. He's not the head of the mission agency. He's not the head of the Bible college. He's the head of the church. He's not the head of a televangelist. What I have found as a pastor is most times colleges do not have respect for local churches. And many times when they're under other local churches, they take your members without considering or consulting you. I know by experience. In fact, I'm afraid that many churches, some of these churches, run their church by college students. (laughs) They fill all the positions of service, and that's what keeps the church going. After all, you know, it's to be admired, you know, because it's always a bigger church, more attractive, a little struggling church at home. You know, I remember visiting a Bible college. It was supposed to be one of the better ones in the country and once, and the guy there was encouraging me to, 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 to come there. Look at all the opportunities you have of service. And, you know, to him, our little church was just not as important nor as impressive. 
So, you know, come there. You could be greatly, more greatly used. Really? Is that God's plan or is that a man's doing? You know, just another tidbit. Outside of Howes Anderson College, there's a life-size statue of Jack Howes and his wife. Life-size. It's erected in front of the building. And his boyhood home was shipped from Texas to Indiana and turned into a museum. Now, if that ain't worship, I don't know what is. It's idolatry. Men's person in admiration because of advantage. The disposition. There's an appearance of domination. Notice again verse 15. To execute judgment upon all. Convince all them that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Notice it says, you know, these hard speeches are fierce, stern, tough. And who are they hard against? Notice it says they're, they're, they have spoken against Him. Many times they're, they're, they're hard against anything that will get a following. You know, the Saul, Saul was against the Lord. King Saul was against the Lord. Even though he had a form or he wanted to supposedly worship the Lord with Samuel, but what he did was against the Lord. The Pharisees, they were legalists. They were, they were, they were uh, against the Lord. They were the religious people of the day. And we that would contend for the faith or expose this methodology of like Jack Howes, we're killjoys. We're killers of soul winning. That's how we're described. <clears throat> There's an irre- irreverence for God. Notice verse 16 again. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lust. Their mouths speak of great selling words, having men's person and admiration because of advantage. And again, verse 18. How that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. Now, notice in, in those two verses, it says two time, one time in each verse, they walk after their own lusts. So their desire is to do what they want to do. There's no reverence, no fear, no deference to to God or His Word. <laughs> you know, one of you, if you read much or listen much about to Jack House, one of the things you'll pick up on if you're if you're listening closely was something he was famous for saying and doing. He would read a passage of scripture, then he'd close his Bible and say, Now you listen to me. And his sermons were a lot of me. Now you listen to me. You know, that's dangerous. That's very dangerous. He he didn't he didn't preach expositional as I'm doing, as I do, going through books of the Bible. He preached topical almost all the time. Topics. And when you preach topics, it gives you well, it doesn't really, but they they topical preachers take liberty to say what they want to say. And you make the Bible say whatever you want to say. They are natural in judgment. Again, we saw this last week, and it comes up again, verse 19. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. So they, they follow, and notice it says, they separate themselves. Now, now, they would say that a message like this, and you know, you preach from Jude, you're divisive. But notice what Jude says. They be, these be they who separate themselves. So when somebody uh, 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 you know, goes contrary to the word of God, they are the ones causing the separation. 
They are the ones causing the divisions. They're the ones departing from the truth, from the faith once delivered unto the saints. They're following their own whims and their own will. There is without the Spirit of God. They separate themselves. And notice, it is a decision they make. They who separate themselves. Who should walk after their own lusts. They have ungodly committed. You know, this is their continual choice. Again, 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy 4 and verses uh, 3 and 4. Paul says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. Peter, the Apostle Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1, 2 Peter 2, And verse 1 says, But these were false prophets. There were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And verse 19, While they promised them liberty, they themselves are servants of corruption, of whom a man is overcome of the same as he brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So these men have knowledge of Christ... They are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. So these have knowledge of Christ. They know something about the Bible. They have knowledge of the Bible. But instead of applying it scripturally and yielding to the Spirit of God, they apply it according to their own nature. See, they're like that seed that's put in the ground. It's planted, but it rots. It rots. It doesn't bring forth fruit. You know, all the cults use the Bible. Almost all of them. They use it. Use it for their own ends. To justify their own doctrines. You know, you can talk to a Mormon, and if he's a well-educated Mormon, he can give you some scriptures to try and back up what they teach. But they're twisted to suit their own ends. Same with Jehovah's Witnesses. Same with the Catholics. They all use some of the Bible, but they twist it. They twist it. You know, that's why Timothy says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We have to rightly divide. We have to rightly interpret Scripture in its context, in its historical setting. And it has to agree with the context it's in, the chapter it's in, the book it's in, and the rest of the Bible. If it doesn't agree with those things, it's not a right interpretation. Therefore, a salvation without repentance is false doctrine. And therefore, salvation without lordship of Christ is also false doctrine. That's really what Jude is all about. They deny the Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the, the, the thing that brought Paul to a saving faith was he realized that Jesus was the Lord. Oh, he knew him as Jesus. He knew him as Jesus. But when he met him on the road to Damascus and Jesus met him there on the road to Damascus, he, then he said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. And then he said, Lord. See, he addressed him then as Lord. You know, in the book of Corinthians, he tells us that at one time he knew Jesus after the flesh. 
But he said, now I know him no more after the flesh. See, now I know him as the Lord and my Savior. See, a Jesus without the Lord is a different Jesus. It's a different Jesus. And these apostates, false teachers, preach a false gospel. And God has some very strong words for them. Notice their judgment. Their judgment. Verse 14. And Enoch also the seventh from Adam prophesied of these saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all, to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds. So they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches ungodly sinners have spoken against him. You know, Enoch lived in a day of apostasy. Enoch lived in a day of corruption. And, you know, Enoch took the admonition of verses 20 through the end of the chapter, and we'll get to that next week, to keep him from participating in this apostasy. But he pronounced the judgment was going to come upon all these apostates, and he said it's going to come when the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. You know when that is? Subscribe for us in Revelation 19. When the Lord comes back from heaven with the armies of heaven and is going to fight against the Antichrist and is going to destroy them with the sword of his mouth. And they that are with him, the saints, ten thousands of his saints. You know, this tells me that these apostates will not go up in the rapture. They are unsaved. No, they will be left to suffer the judgments of the tribulation and then to meet the Lord when he returns with his armies from heaven to destroy them. The Antichrist. But, you know, here's here's the, the sad thing. This was their decision. These, these have knowledge of God. They had heard the gospel. But they chose not to receive it as it was given, but twist it and use it for their own gain. You know, one, there was a time in America, and that is fast fleeing us, when it was popular and favorable to be a member of a church. I mean a church that really stood for something. But now it's not popular. Now it's not favorable. Now if you stand for the Lord, you could be censored. You see, these are more interested in being favored and admired than they are faithful to the Lord. How, what is your attitude toward the Lord? Are you determined to be faithful or you want to be favored by the world?